Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And I haven't got my new chair, so I'm sliding around on this old wooden chair. <laughs> so anyway, I, I, I'm sliding into first again just to get in time for this broadcast. And uh, we'll see if we can't cover some of the material. Like we finished off First Corinthians 1 through 16. And if you want to hear those recordings, most of those recordings uh, are now available and will shortly be available on Preparing You website. So you can go to the Preparing You website and look up Bible, look up Corinthians, and you can go through all all our notes and uh, audios will be up there for each of those individual um, chapters as well as the introductory, several introductory recordings talking about what was going on in Corinth. And why do we, I remember once being on a rooftop with a guy and he was saying that he was glad that the school doesn't waste time teaching people history that he thought was great because the school was giving the assignment over the holidays that all the kids had to find out all the major football teams on the different colleges in the state of Oregon. And that was their assignment. They're not wasting time studying things like history. (laughs) Well, if you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat the same mistakes that we made in the past in history. And of course, if you learn a false history, (laughs) you're going to also not only be condemned to make the same mistakes, you might be seduced into making those mistakes because of your lack of of knowledge. Yea, but for the lack of knowledge, the Bible tells us. Well, knowledge about what? Well, knowledge about history. Knowledge about what was going on. Knowledge about what what the Bible is really talking about. I mean, it mentions government 700 times. It mentions religion five times. So what is the Bible about? Religion or government? Well, actually, it's really about how you govern yourself. And if you don't govern yourself in a righteous way, you will go under the authority of dictators and rulers who will make you merchandise, human resources, take your children, make them run before their chariots, and they're going to take and take and take and take and take. And that's what the Bible tells you. You Go read Common Sense by uh, Thomas Paine. And he is quoting almost all of the chapter of... The first uh, the, uh, Samuel chapter 8. Because he's telling you what will happen if you don't seek righteousness in your relationship with your neighbor and with the community around about you and then the, the adjacent neighboring communities and nations, etc. And that, of course, is what's going on in the news every day that we're not really being righteous with everybody. You know, if we don't like what you're doing, we bomb you. I was just talking to a politician recently who was at a meeting with a, a special interest group. I won't name the special interest group. But he says, if I went to work for your special interest group, I would be fired almost immediately. Because if I don't fit into your dogma, your stereo, your 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 mission statement, you're going to fire me. And rightly so. He says, but I'm supposed to represent the people. 
I'm not supposed to represent private interests. And so therefore I wouldn't fit in with your group. There's a lot of other reasons he wouldn't fit in. Anyway, the guy left shaking. Although they shook hands and it was cordial and everything, but I mean, he came up, wanted to talk to the politician, and he said that he wanted to be speaking openly and frankly. Well, unfortunately, he went to the wrong politician, because that particular politician speaks very openly and frankly. <laughs> so, anyway, all politicians are bad. All lawyers aren't bad. But they are challenged to stay good men, because of the fact that power corrupts. And politicians politicians today are running for offices of power. What would a politician be like who is running for office in the kingdom of God? Would he be looking for power? Would he be looking for authority over other people to make other people do what he thought was right? No, that's not how you run for office in the kingdom of God. The way you run for office in the kingdom of God, and Christ explains this, your pastor probably won't explain it, but Christ explained it. That you are to be the best servant of servants of servants. That's how you get higher office in the kingdom of God. And I do say office because there's several words that are referenced to the ministers of Christ that actually is the technical Greek word for an officer. Officers of Christ. The officers of Christ don't exercise authority one over the other. They exercise love. They exercise not just any love, but a Christ-like love. That's what they exercise. And that Christ-like love gives life, heals, makes people whole, protects people so that they are less vulnerable to the evil of the world, of this world and of the next world. Or of other worlds, let's put it that way, rather than the next world. Because all worlds, all universes, all dimensions exist right now. There's probably some dimensions that exist outside of the now, but that would be beyond my scope of understanding. (laughs) Physicists tell you that there's multiple dimensions these days, and they say that one of those dimensions is time itself. And in time, I don't know if there's a now... (laughs) So anyway, but that may be getting too complex for the topic of the show today. We finished Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, first letter to the Corinthians. And if you go listen to the recordings and look at the footnotes and all the live links that we put into the, uh, in all those chapters now, you will get a decidedly different picture of the New Testament than you would commonly get in the modern church today. I, I will profess that it will be decidedly different because the Bible is really written, and this is what it says actually in at least some Bibles, it was written for the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. It's actually written into the Bible. It's a Wycliffe Bible and it's in, in the introduction. But this is the book for the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. And that's where Abe Lincoln got it. He didn't invent that. He read it somewhere else. He read it in the Wycliffe Bible introduction. Because that's really what the Bible is about, is how to govern yourselves in relationship to all the other people in the world. But in order to govern yourself or to allow yourself to be governed by the Spirit of God, you have to know yourself. And you can't even get to know yourself by yourself. You need revelation. 
to know yourself. You need to return to the Garden of Eden. But in order to get to the Garden of Eden, Eden, you have to go up to that cherub holding, like I was talking about this morning, that lightsaber shining in every direction. And what that lightsaber is doing is cutting to, cutting through to the truth. And the first truth you need to see is the truth about yourself. People say that, oh, you have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He died for our sins and, and all this stuff. Well, that's not untrue. But what Jesus Christ are we talking about? In order to really know Jesus Christ, you need to know yourself. And in order to know yourself, you actually need to know Jesus Christ. Because He is the light by which you can see yourself. He is the measuring rod by which you measure yourself. The epistles are telling you, if you're not doing this, and you're not doing this, and you're not doing this, or if you're doing this, 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 and this, you don't have any inheritance in the kingdom. You know, this is why James talks about works. Paul even talks about works. You don't earn it where you have salvation. But if you're not doing certain things, you don't have salvation no matter what you think in your head. You cannot be saved by your thinking. That's how we got condemned, is by our thinking. Thinking we could decide what was good and evil with our brains, with our tree of knowledge. It's our tree of life. How do you get life more abundant? If you want to eat of the tree of life, how do you get a bigger tree of life to eat from? You have to lay down your life. See, when I'm speaking in metaphors, I'm showing you something that you nobody else is hardly showing you today. It, it, the information is all around you, but they're not showing it to you. They're trying to lead you this way, and they're going to try to lead you that way. So how can you know if you're being led in a right way? Somebody wrote me just the other night. And, I mean, I read their letter, and I, I literally stayed up almost all night contemplating and praying about it. I actually changed some. One of the ways I, I ponder a thing is I write about it. And when I write now, I, I put it on the website somewhere. <laughs> I slip it in. I go and read what I already wrote on the subject and I maybe write some more, hone it a little bit. You know, like a sculpture. Go, you know, uh, someone who sculpts something, they, they take away a little bit here and take, you know, you get this big rock and you cut away everything that doesn't look like King David. <laughs> well, you know, Michelangelo, he was pretty good at that and he could, I mean, it was, you see some of his unfinished statues and it's like he just started at the top and chipped away everything that didn't look like David until he got down to the bottom or whoever it was. I mean, it's just amazing. You see, coming out of this rock, this statue of a person that looks just lifelike. It's amazing what some artists can do. Well, I kind of do the same thing with words. And some people, they read what I write and they think, oh, I've never seen it so clear. It's so, you say it so precisely and all this. Well, I'm, I'm not convinced, which is maybe I go back and I say, I could say that better. I could, I could say that better. <laughs> but then I, the fact is, is I'm walking around this thing called the kingdom of God and trying to show it to you from every different angle and direction. But today, we're going to talk about looking at the kingdom from inside the kingdom, not from outside. 
when we looked at Corinthians, we looked at a lot of things from outside. Looking at Corinth, looking at what was going on there, looking at why they, you know, what these different words mean and meant at that time. Not what they mean today to some modern preacher who's leading you in the wrong direction. And that letter that was sent to me, uh, the individual was talking about being led in the wrong direction. They'd been with a couple other groups and stuff and they felt like they had been being led away. And actually, when I was reading the letter for the first time, I was seeing that same message. I hadn't got down to the part where they said that they felt like they were being led away, but I could see, and not from lack of experience in these areas, because I've seen this over, I've been around for many, 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 many decades, and seen a lot of this stuff. And, you know, like they they studied Hinduism, uh, you know, I've studied, uh, and, and she talked about, uh, I don't want to give away too much, but she talked about uh, being exposed to the, you know, kundalini, and these are Hindu terms and meditation and 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 different kinds of meditation. I won't go into all of it. I mean, but that's one of the things that we're going to talk about. And I'm going to go to a couple of different pages at Preparing You and take the show from those pages. And one of them is to be still. If you go there and type in in the search engine, be still. It will take you to one of these pages. You can also type in the word mind. And it will take you to a page on the mind. And about how we think. And uh, cogito ergo sum. I think therefore I am. Is one of the sections on that page. And trauma and emotions. And the faculties of the minds. And the fact that we can have two minds. And you know I was dealing with. I have dealt with in the past. And uh with people that have uh, not just split personalities, not just, uh, you know, schizophrenia. Schizophrenia is kind of a split, splitting of the mind, dividing of the mind, but multiple personalities. And I know of people who have multiple, multiple personalities. Or at least that's the way they describe it. If you were to go look at the, the, the manual for diagnostics, you would describe uh, some of their symptoms is multiple, multiple personalities. It's not, you know, and I was explaining to somebody just yesterday, as a matter of fact, uh, the multiple personalities is not so difficult to understand. And it, they're often created as a defensive mechanism against trauma. And many of our problems come from trauma, but it doesn't really, they don't really come from trauma is our unwillingness to face trauma, to deal with trauma. And so we try to hide from the pain of the trauma, and we do this in a number of different ways. And one of the symptoms of that hiding is schizophrenia. Another one is multiple personalities. Uh, All of them show some sort of conflict in the mind. And the mind is a place you can get lost in. And most people are lost in their minds. They're lost in the maze of their own making, in their mental state. Because this thing we call soul, that's kind of what sometimes the Greeks would associate with consciousness. Uh, Soul is actually, there's two different kinds of soul, uh, or two different uses of the word. One is the uh, corporeal and incorporeal hereditaments of personality. That's one definition. And the other one is basically the definition of consciousness. 
uh, we actually the word soul and the word mind are often interchanged in translations. The same word that they translate mind, they will also translate soul. But mind, the mind is where you think or where you're conscious of your thinking. But how can you be conscious of your thinking except with your thinking? Can you be conscious of your mind without your mind? Step back out of your mind and look at your mind objectively. Well, what are you rooted in when you're looking at your mind objectively but your mind? You have to have some place to stand. It's kind of like uh, Archimedes and, and the lever thing. You know, he could move the whole world if he, if he had a long enough lever and a place to stand. In other words, he actually needs a place for his fulcrum for, to do the leverage thing. He's saying that you could, could move the whole world if you had a big enough lever and a place to stand the lever, put the lever, the fulcrum, and you get out on the end without breaking your lever. <laughs> you could move the whole world. And of course, Christ says you can move mountains if you had faith. And it's that faith that gives you a place to stand. But that faith has to be the faith in the God of creation. Not the created God in your own mind. Now the reality is, because we have fallen to our minds, this is original sin, we ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we fell to our minds and were cut off from the tree of life. The tree of life is where our soul can plug into the origin of creation. That's a metaphor, but you can plug into the source of all energy in creation by plugging into the tree of life. There's no, almost no end for intense, all intensive purposes for us. Plugging into the tree of life is plugging into an infinite power source. You may not be able to channel all that power and you may not even be able to plug into the tree of life. How do you get there back to the tree of life so you could even plug in? Well, you have to see yourself as you really are. Because in order to get there, you have to come into the light. The light of that cherubim with the fiery sword that is actually there calling you back. The light that's calling you back to the garden of paradise where you walk with God. And walk with the power of God. That's where you want to get to. How do you get there? Well, everything that Christ was talking about was telling you ways to get there. But you don't get there on their own. What you're doing is preparing a place inside of you in which you can make that connection to the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit can make that connection to you. And But you have to prepare a place for it to come into you. Which is a little why we have the website preparing you. A lot of people go there because it has a lot of things on, you know, survival and, um, you know, health and education and welfare and, and, uh, they think that we're preparing you just to survive on the earth. We're preparing you actually. Sometimes we do it a little more subtly. We're trying to prepare you to go into spiritual realms of existence, to tap into spiritual sources of power, into the quantum mechanics of the universe that God created, but not for your own will. That's why you don't. it's more subtle when we're talking about these things. Because we don't want to be your guide. 
We don't want to be the rulers over your mind. We can barely handle our own mind. <laughs> we don't want to have to, we don't want to have to make decisions for you. We want God to make decisions for you. Now a lot of people out there, they may not have our, the same intent that we have. I'm not going to say our intent is pure. We're working on it constantly, on a daily basis, trying to come into conformity to Christ. And we have a variety of different people that would be in the ministry. And they're at different levels, just as you're at different levels of understanding. The individual that uh, had written me, and I found their letter, they, actually now I've read two letters from them. I actually have read several over the, but these two of these recent ones. I find it very fascinating to read it because I see the journey that they've been on. And I, I saw that some of this journey was a distraction, taking them away from the journey to, what do we call it? Well, to the kingdom of God and his righteousness, uh, to an awakening so that you can understand what the kingdom of God and his righteousness is. And they had been involved with uh, people like Robert Monroe, and uh, who has the Monroe Institute, or he used to have it. He, I think he died back in 1995. Uh, Robert Allen Monroe, I'm sure you can Google him and find out about him. I was familiar with him. I'm actually familiar with some of the people that work there, and I'm also familiar with some of the drama that went behind the scenes. You know, he was married a number of times. And there's always in these organizations that are not firmly rooted in Christ, there's a power struggle because there is some sort of power uh, mechanism in in their institutions. In the kingdom of God, the power mechanism is in Christ. It's in this spiritual connection to the tree of life. Each of you must plug in. You can't rob power from me because I don't have any power over you. I barely have power over me. <laughs> and I don't really want power over me. I want Christ to have power over me. I want Christ to have power over you, but only if you... Only if you want him to have power over you. Otherwise, you, the world will take power over you. That That's fine with me. You know, I mean, I don't want to see you go that way, but I'm not going to stop you. Because I can't exercise authority one over the other. I can warn you. And I would warn you about, you know, Robert Monroe, just to give you a little background on the guy, he's a big one into uh, hemispheric synchronization, I think they called it. Um and he, he promoted out-of-body experiences and forms of meditation and isolation. And all these things, there's certain validity to all of them, but who is his spirit guide? Who is guiding him in his guiding of you? Is it Christ? I mean, I'm sure he probably mentioned Christ. You know, I, I never met him. I I've talked to people who knew him, but I've never met him. Uh, but I don't see Christ in what he's teaching. I see any more than I would see in your local Baptist church. I can tell you this, out-of-body experiences are very dangerous. Because <laughs> while you're gone, who's watching the back door? <laughs> who's your guide when you're in this out-of-body experience? And how do you know, and now you mix out-of-body experiences with drugs, and man, you can get into a lot of trouble. So, I think people who are seeking those 
experiences, especially for emotional stimulation, it's, it can be very dangerous. Not that you couldn't learn things in that, but it still, you know, you can learn a lot of things. You know, you can jump into, you know, the giant waves in Hawaii, or you can jump into a raging rapids of the Colorado River, and you can learn a lot of stuff, but you can also get your brains bashed out on the rocks. So I would be careful of those things. I, I don't advise people to go that way. And, uh, you know, I actually pulled up their letter and I was looking at some of the other things that they mentioned here. Uh, a group in um, uh, Salt Springs, Florida, that had meditation in motion. And, uh, you know, I'm mentioning some of these things. I'm not going to mention the person. I, I respect their privacy, privacy. But they mentioned some of these things. And, you know, I could I could bring up all kinds of different groups and, you know, transcendental meditation. I mean, we had... Uh, one of the Bhagwans out here uh, in the uh, up by Antelope, uh, who was starting a whole commune up there, and they had a kind of meditation in motion, dancing around meditation, and they had a lot of other things. Very dangerous group, and got very much out of control. And some of their higher officers were actually trying to poison local politicians and take over the government in the local area and all this kind of stuff. Totally outside of the realm of what Christ teaches. And we have a whole page on meditation, that be still and know, that will take you to our page on meditation, because actually I believe all the content on the meditation page is also on that page. We're telling you about how some of these things work. And just right off the bat, meditation is like exercise. It's a mental exercise. You can, you know, I, the other day I was doing sit-ups and I was talking to my daughter who was talking about, we're, we work on a lot on diet and and people who have posture problems and back problems and all these kinds. And we look at that because we're interested in health and we can, we can give you lots of ideas on how you might be able to enhance your own health and well-being. I, according to doctors, I was supposed to be dead over 50 years ago. And uh, they're all dead, and I'm still here. So I've learned something about, not that I have great health. Uh, I started out with very, very bad health. And then I went to doctors for many years. And finally, when I stopped, my health started improving. <laughs> so anyway, I, I don't have anything against doctors, but I don't recommend that any more than I recommend Monroe and out-of-body experiences. Uh, your mind can keep you well. I know the guy who brought up that phrase originally and uh, know his sons, know his family, known them for well over five decades. But uh, I've learned more from Christ and the Spirit of Christ than I've learned from all these other sources that I've looked into. I knew one of the protégés of Bhagavan Yogahanda um, who was one of the first ones to bring Hindu meditation and yoga to the United States. And uh, I knew him personally, walked with him, ate with him. And uh, uh, his name was Cherio Bernard at the time that I was with him. He had uh, longer names. And very bright guy, very intelligent guy, very astute guy. He saw a lot of things that other people didn't see. Uh, was a genius, which is why he was brought as a protege of that guy. Uh, but he walked away from all that because, well, I'll let him, well, actually, he's passed away now. I've outlived all these people. 
the reality is everything you need to know is right in front of you. It's right around you. It's right inside of you. And so I, but I talk about these not to educate you from the outside in, but to point you to the inside where you can find all the answers. But in order to find all the answers on the inside, you're going to be living in the world and bumping into one another. You don't want to become a hermit, an emotional hermit, uh, a physical hermit, um, a social hermit. You want to interact with other people because it is in that interaction where the, you know, it's like planting your seed in the ground is planted in the dark, but the first thing it wants to do is come up into the light. And, and, and it needs to come up into the wind, into the air, and start to contend with the environment around it. It needs to do that in order to grow. If you leave it in the dark and it, you put a cup over the top so it even comes out of the soil and it's in the dark, it's going to die. So it's the same way with tapping into that Holy Spirit, that tree of life. You need to take what you get from the Holy Spirit and go out and interact with the rest of the world. So all the talk that we've done in Corinthians, not all of it, but a great deal of the talk is telling you and a great deal of what the lessons of the Bible are is how to interact in the rest of the world. You don't want to be killing anybody. You don't want to be lying to people. You, you, you don't want to be stealing from people. And you don't even want to be coveting what belongs to your neighbor. You want to actually be overtly going out and taking care of your parents and taking care of your children and taking care of your neighbor and even taking care of the spirit in your midst. Why? Because in that care for them, you lay down your life. And in the essence of things, when you lay down your life for righteous sake, in other words, you're helping people out in a way that really helps them strengthening the poor, you will be blessed with more energy, more knowledge, more understanding, more power to do righteousness. As soon as you stop doing righteousness, the power will start draining away. That's just the way it works. So back to meditation. What meditation is, is an exercise. Doing push-ups is an exercise. Doing sit-ups is an exercise. That's what I was doing the other was doing sit-ups while I was talking to them. And I was doing, you know, not anything fancy, just up and down. I'm an old guy. But I could go up and down for sit-ups for half an hour, 45 minutes. <laughs> Just keep going up and down. Why can I do that at this ancient days? Well, I tell you, if I was not sharing with you the knowledge of God that God has given me, life would drain out of me like a empty bucket, like a, hole, a bucket with a hole in it. You need to know that too. Doesn't mean you need to go out and talk to everybody about everything you discover listening to us or discover in meditation. But it means that you have to be doing it for the purposes of benefiting others, not just benefiting yourself. God will show you how to benefit others with what he shows you, but your motivation needs to be for the benefit of others. That's in the nature of God. God didn't create the universe for himself. He created it for others. You have to do the same thing if you want more of what God had, this power of creation. So meditation is an exercise the same as those push-ups. But if I do push-ups and then go out and beat up people because I'm strong or use it to, you know, rob banks or do bad things, the push-ups 
will undo me. The, the sit-ups will undo me because I don't do right by what I obtain in the exercise. Same with meditation. People who go to these meditation guru places and everything, they're doing it so that they can become better, so that they can become wiser, so that they can become stronger, which is not bad in itself. But if that is the majority of your motivation, your emotion, your meditation and emotion, it can be your undoing. It can actually lead you down the wrong path. The kundalini is like a snake. The prana. There's hatha and prana. Originally I studied hatha yoga. But prana yoga is part of the same thing. But I studied actually. When I studied it originally I was very young. I mean very young. I wasn't even a teenager yet. And it was doing because my health was so bad. And it was given to me in a book called Christian Yoga. Which was really just. And hatha yoga has a lot to do with breathing. So, and that's what I had problem with breathing. Because I had, I had uh, terrible asthma problems growing up. I, all my asthma went away when I became conscious of the process of an asthma attack. Because I never had one when I was conscious. When I finally brought it into the, my consciousness, into where my soul could be aware of it, <laughs> it left me. There are other things that still haven't left me. Some things have left me and I've gotten better. I'm healthier now at 70-some years of age than I was at 7. Uh, but I was a lot more flexible at 7. I'll have to admit that. But I can do a lot more than I could do when I was at 7. But anyway, all these different things, all these different, you know, uh, the Muslim religion, the Hindu religion, the meditations. There's meditation in Muslim There's meditation in Judaism. Ancient Jewish tradition of meditation. And you see it described where they talk about this leather thong wrapped around your arm up to a box on your forehead and in the box you put a scripture and they're actually describing in metaphor form the process of meditation. The Jewish meditation. And there's a couple of different processes but that's basically it. Where you're being... And we teach that and if you go to our website you'll see us teach that. We're not the only ones who teach it. Other people teach it. But again, it's just an exercise to help you be still. And one of the ways it helps you be still is when you're doing that kind of exercise, things will bubble up. And I've explained this and I explained it in recording, so I won't go into a great deal of detail. But some of you aren't going to go to the website at preparing you and look up Be Still, so you're not going to hear it any other way. So the point is, is that when you try to be still, seek to be still, I should say that rather than try, because try denotes a sort of willfulness. When you seek to be still so that you may know the will of God, so that you may do the will of God, and which means to do righteousness. When you're seeking to be still, things that are already inside you will bubble up to prevent you from being still. Because in that stillness comes the light. And there's things inside you that don't want to see the light. You have ha- developed an addiction to avoid the light. There are some things you're willing to see, but there's in every one of us, there are some things you are not willing to see yet. And that's okay, because it's a process to uncover those things. You, you're not going to, Rome was not built in a day. You know, I'm fond of saying all roads lead to Rome. All roads lead to the kingdom of God. It's just about direction. And every one of us on the road to the kingdom of God are going to meet obstacles in that road, obstacles that are actually already inside of us. 
that we don't want to face. And if you want the strength to face them, you have to help other people face their demons, their monsters. If you if you deal with people and you say, oh, well, those people, they're so wimpy, they don't even want to see this basic thing, you know, and, you know, I don't even want to waste time with people like that who don't want to see. If you don't want to waste time with people who are not yet seeing what you see, then why should God waste time with you who are not willing to see the things that he sees? You see how it works? God doesn't, we don't give birth to Mr. Button, who is born as an old man and goes down to being a little kid. We're giving birth to little kids who don't know anything. And we have to take our time and our patience with those children until they grow up and become adults. Although some parents try to keep their children children and they end up with grown-up children. (laughs) Big children. They're still going around doing childish things. But you, in that process of parenting a child from childhood to adulthood, you learn things. Hopefully, you learn things. It's the same thing in a congregation. There are people in your congregation that are not as spiritually mature as you. And there may be people in your congregation that are more spiritually mature than you. When I say spiritually mature, I'm not talking about intellectually smart. I'm talking about spiritually mature. I have found people with IQs is probably in the 80s that are spiritually more mature than some geniuses I have come across. Spiritual mature doesn't have anything to do with IQ. And it's, uh, it's amazing when you start to realize exactly what that is. But this meditation, this being still, and then things that are already inside you, traumas, that are already inside you, injuries that are already inside you, will bubble up in you. I, I use the word bubble up. That mean they will ooze out. They will bubble up. They will be manifested to you in lots of different ways. Maybe not even an intellectual explanation. Maybe simply flashing colors on your eyelids. Maybe in uh, movement inside your body. You'll feel things like move around in your body. Yeah, all kinds of things. When you try to sit still for 15 minutes and be still, and the meditation mechanics of it is that you're aware of your hand at your side or in your lap or laying along next to you. I usually recommend that you sit in a chair because there's a great tendency to fall asleep. It's not necessarily bad to fall asleep, but if you fall asleep too quickly, you don't get much meditation. <laughs> Best to you sit and don't fall asleep, meditate, and then go to sleep. <laughs> But anyway, you're just being aware of your hand. And you're aware of seeing your hand with your mind's eye, not with your physical eyes. Your eyes are closed. That attempt, just to be aware, not to concentrate, just to be aware of your hand. But that attempt, just to be aware of yourself, a part of yourself in the moment, doing nothing but waiting is going to allow things that are in you on the surface of your soul to bubble up. And sometimes you'll have thoughts and memories and you may hear sounds, you may see colors, you may you maybe nothing. You'll just find it very difficult to keep aware of your hand, you'll be distracted and all of a sudden you'll you know, you'll go off daydreaming. 
But that process is bringing your attention back to you sitting there in the moment. You're coming back to the moment. The way your hand feels now in the moment is going through a mechanical process of awakening something that is covered up with trauma, emotions, judgment, fear, anxiety. Some people will just suddenly break down into tears while they're sitting and waiting to meditate. They just start crying. They don't know why. So there's all kinds of different reactions. It doesn't matter what the reaction is. See it, feel it, experience it, but go back to being aware of yourself sitting there in the moment. Just for 15 minutes a day, maybe two, three times a day at the most. I mean, you could go five times a day, but I don't want you sitting there contemplating all day long and wasting. The real lessons will be learned when you go out and interact with forgiveness and love and patience and mercy with all those other people in the world. That is going to help you on your journey. It's not going to make your journey complete. It's not an essential element of your journey. It may be helpful, but I mean, like, I could walk from here to Bend, Oregon. I just have to head out. My grab a Coke. It's going to get cold tonight. I could probably walk there. It might take me till tomorrow night <laughs> before I get there. Uh, it'd probably take me more than that to get to Bend. It'd probably take me two, three days. But I could get there. It's much better to take a car and get there real quick, quick if I take a car. Well, meditation is kind of that way. Medica- meditation is an instrument that may help you learn to quieten your mind and see things and put you a little bit more on the fast track. But the ultimate answer, though, is what direction are you going? Do you know where you're headed? This person also mentioned uh, Sedona, Arizona, and there's a lot of you know astral projection and and lots of other groups down there that are trying all these other mental things. And the thing is, is that where are they headed? Where are they taking you? Do they give you any kind of direction? I mean, is it just about you? Is it just about your consciousness? Christ didn't come to just expand your consciousness. He came saying, seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. How are all these things getting you closer to righteousness? And so, we we tell you about a lot of different things, you know, about what that was going on in Egypt, what's going on today. Same thing that's going on today in the United States is what went on in Egypt. The people became merchandise. They became human resources. They had to work without pay. For long periods of time during the year. It was supposed to only be 20%, but the crafts of state, they made it more and more and more. Today, people, you know, when I asked my father way back when I was nine years old who he worked for, he said, well, until July 1st, I worked for the government. Because he was in a 50% income tax bracket. So he was, until July 1st, he was literally working without pay. He was a slave in Egypt. And that's where most everybody else is. Unless as some of those people who pay absolutely no taxes and they're on government welfare, etc., 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 they are the taskmasters. <laughs> they are the leeches living off the blood of their brothers. They are eating meat every day with blood in it, the blood of their neighbor in it. What kind of a society does that create? It creates a society of zombies 
who will go about hurting whoever they will. So, anyway, there's a lot of other people that was mentioned in the letter, and I'm not going to go through all of it. Probably it's about time to go to a break. As a matter of fact, I've gone way past my break, because this is really an important message. And we would like to allow people to come out here. We were looking at a place in the Midwest that we could have people come and put on seminars and help people, because I believe that there's actually a physical contact that is important to becoming aware of yourself. I've said this many times, that we have to take each other's hand and walk with each other, helping them see their own demons, face their own demons, face the problems in themselves that they are not willing to face on their own or have found it difficult to face on their own. This is what you do with children. You help them grow to adulthood. And we're all children of God. And some of us may be, you know, more advanced in a particular area of understanding. And so there we can help people that are not so advanced in that area of understanding. While someone you just helped may also help you in areas where you don't understand. Maybe they have no problem with forgiveness, but they have a problem with charity. Well, that maybe they can help you in that. But anyway, I'll take a little short break and we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Are you ready to start meditating? <laughs> it Really, it's it's a good idea. I, I can't encourage it enough. And we're talking 15 minutes a day, maybe a total of a half hour. Uh, if you get good at it where you don't fall asleep right away, every night before you go to sleep, every morning when you get up, you know, instead of just jumping up and going, you know, Take 10 minutes out and meditate. You could do it, you know, sitting in your car, probably not when it's running at a red light. That's not really enough time, and you probably won't <laughs> see the light change. But if you get proficient at it, you could do it a lot of times. Uh, and it's a way of stilling the mind and facing things. You want to do it not when you're necessarily in crowds. You don't want to do it when you're surrounded by guys who want to kill you. Although there is a mindset that you get into, you slip into a quiet place. But in order to find your way to that quiet place, first you have to get rid of some of the garbage that's on the surface. And that's what meditation does. You know, all that trauma. And some of you have a lot more trauma. You know, I had a pretty good childhood, but everybody's got trauma. And But some of you have lots of trauma. The amount is insignificant to the Holy Spirit. It can release that. And release you from that. But be very careful. You, you'll probably do it anyway. But be very careful of trying to meditate to get an edge. Meditation, finding the kingdom, seeking the kingdom, the awakening is mostly about letting go of your own vanity. Your own willfulness. And that's why I say, if you go out, you know, you've, you've produced something of value, you... You go out, you have some skills, you go out and share those skills in a righteous way that strengthens other people. That, too, is a part of the process of seeking the kingdom of God. You have a right foot, you have a left foot. Each of them is, represents a different concept in your quest for the kingdom of God. Right foot, left foot. Be still and know, know and become a doer of the word. This is the way the process should work for you and for other people who are willing to seek that kingdom. Now, be forewarned. 
Seeking the kingdom is seeking the depths of your own soul, your own heart, your own mind. Unless you're willing to go all the way, and you probably are not at this moment, but in the process you may become willing to go the whole way, in the process of life, it won't do you much good. You need to want to go the whole way. And like I say, right now you probably don't. You don't even know what that curtails. You haven't faced all the demons that have gotten inside you or gotten influence over you. All the dark places that you've been in your life from the time you were a child to today. There's so much we forget about, you know, people tell me, you know, I had trauma, you know, a few years ago. You had trauma when you were two. (laughs) You had trauma when you were eight. You had trauma when you were ten. You just don't remember all these traumas because all these traumas involve pain. But all of that can go away. All of that can bring healing. And one of the things when you start finding the healing for these traumas that are deep down inside you and start letting them go and they're bubbling away and you replace them with righteousness, you know, you, you don't even remember anymore that you don't remember because it's suppressed you just don't remember because it's gone the weight comes off you and it allows the process of your spirit and the process of your body to function more according to its proper nature because the all those traumas all those dark places that get inside you they interfere with the process of nature in our in our opening uh, statement that uh, we have on the website where you see this particular program it says uh, that we're offering you a unique perspective to the ancient text hidden histories and natural law natural law is what allows you to live going against natural law allows you to die you, you should not need to die you should have life everlasting but things interfere with that and we're actually creators on this planet we are creating the environment around us but there's more than one environment around us because there's more than one dimension around us to become aware of all these other dimensions you don't want to be aware of all of them you know you can't be driving in a car in this dimension and looking at another dimension (laughs) you're going to wreck so you want to be in the moment, in this physical dimension, but you want dominion in the spiritual realm. The way you get dominion in the spiritual realm is you give that dominion to God. And when you give it to God, you recognize this God force, this life force is out there and you have to love your neighbor as yourself because God loves your neighbor and you have to love them as God loves you. This allows the character of God to flow through you and begins to alter who you are. You're still who you are, but it alters the way in which you manifest who you are. Because it, it, you're become complete. You can only become complete according to the perfect law of liberty if you extend that liberty to others. Stop trying to control others. Allow God to control you. 
God's not going to do it through force. He's not going to tie you up like the world does. He's not going to take and take and take and take. He's actually going to give and give and give to you if you give and give and give to others. The reason the people in Israel had a king that ended up taking and taking and taking and taking is because the people were willing to take and take and take from their neighbors. They didn't care enough about their neighbors to spend the time to get rid of those corrupt officials in a voluntary government. You know, like I've told people recently, I'm running out of time, but, uh, you know, in Oregon, as an example, I happen to be in Oregon, there's this Article 2, Section 22. You can go to Preparing You and look it up. It says that anybody running for any political office in Oregon that takes more than 10% donations into their personal account from outside of the district in which they're running or from outside of the state of Oregon or they're running for a state office. Anybody who does that has committed a felony and must relinquish their office. They must vacate their office by law. They must vacate their office. They're, they've committed a felony. They're guilty of a felony. And they cannot run for that office again for at least two terms. Everybody, almost, the vast majority of the people in the state of Oregon holding public office today have violated, some of them to the tune of millions of dollars, have violated that part of the Oregon Constitution. They took office instead of vacated office. They stood up there and swore to uphold the terms of the Constitution while they were violating the terms of the Constitution. This is easily explained, easily shown. You go to our webpage, Article 2, Section 22. And yet, millions upon millions of people in Oregon are doing nothing about it. Fairly decent men who are holding office will say nothing about it either because they're in violation or because their friends are in violation. They are not, they are bearing false witness to say that they have a right to their office. Because they know they do not have a right to their office. Governor Brown is guilty to at least five million dollars that's gone into her personal account, her campaign, personal campaign account that she has no right to and she is in violation and should not be governor and must vacate her office by law, has committed a felony by law, and she's allowed to be in there. People in the press know it, but they won't, they won't say anything. They're all bearing false witness. Now, what that means to somebody like me who's seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness is that we're in a lot of trouble. Zombies have taken the office. Liars and felons are running the government. Uh, This could be easily fixed. But what it really tells me is the people do not love one another. Because if the people really love one another, they'd stand up and say, this isn't right. You violated the terms of your own office. You must step down. That's It says you have to vacate the office. You have to surrender the office. This is... It's the majority of people holding Congress and Senate jobs in the state of Oregon. Uh, mayors. You know, I, I can't say the majority of mayors, but this includes mayors, governor, any elected office. And they can't run again. 
for that office for two terms. Yeah, but the people do nothing. They don't stand up. Why not? Because love is not in them. Not love of righteousness. They're not seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. They're not seeking righteousness in their own government. What's going on here? How do we change that? Well, that's the other process of coming together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Everybody who's doing that should be meditating. But everybody doing that should also be caring about their neighbor. That's that's what you do when you're not meditating. Caring about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. And people aren't doing that in Oregon. They're not doing that in the United States. They're not doing that in Canada. But you don't need all of them to do it. You need to do it. And you need to seek others who are doing it. And gather with them. And it will change the course of history. You want to be a part of that? Come and join us on the network at preparingyou.com or hisholychurch.org. Until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.